Welcome to the To Read List. I'm Bailey, and this is a podcast where I attempt to get through the 141 unread books on my shelf. With me is my friend Toby. Hey. My brother Andrew. Hello. And my husband Dylan is our sound recordist. Now with his own microphone. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, I just want to congratulate everybody. Andrew has been dutifully keeping track of all of our downloads and our um, Instagram followers, and we've passed, I haven't checked it recently, but we passed 500 downloads. What? And 100 Instagram followers. Yay! Uh, 517 downloads and 103 Instagram followers as of last checking. Ooh. Wow. With that said, we only have four Goodreads friends. <laughs> I had a friend ask how to add us on Goodreads as a friend. Go to goodreads.com slash the to read list podcast. You will see us. Click follow, click friend, <laughs> and then you can follow our reviews. Besides that, guys, I made a promise last time yeah. that I would not buy any books. It lasted for a week and a half. I think my immediate reaction was, I don't believe you, so I feel justified. Here's the thing. I I don't think it counts that I broke the rule. I don't think I really broke it. This just in. Rule breaker tries to weasel out. Okay. I bought a book the day it came out because I was excited for it to come out, and I read it that night. And it's so it's not even on the list. So I feel like it shouldn't count. Which book is this, Bailey? This book is called Kid Gloves by Lucy Nisley. It's a graphic novel. And I've read um, all not all of her, but most of her other graphic novels. And this one is about her um, struggles with infertility and trying to have a baby. And it, I mean, it's a graphic novel. I read it in two hours and it's amazing. I just have one question was, uh, you know, was it worth it breaking your promise to uh, not only uh, your your husband and your brother, me, your good friend and all of the followers that you swore that you wouldn't buy any more books? Was it worth it? Well, I think it was worth it because <laughs> because then I started creeping on the author's Instagram and she has some really cute videos and there's one that I can't stop watching that's her little son talking to her cat and he's just like fluffy tail fluffy tail <laughs> that was a pretty cute video it's pretty cute I think that that's fine I think we're specifically trying to limit books you add to your shelf that you have no not no intention of reading but no immediate uh, push to read yeah so I think in this situation I'm willing to forgive you Though that could just be because I have, (laughs) that could just be because I have some shame of my own in this regard. Okay, well, I'm really curious to hear about your shame. But before we get to that, I just want to ask you guys, is there a book that you've bought like the night it came out that you're really excited to get? Um, no. I, (laughs) (laughs) all right. I mean, I was always staying at summer camp or working at a summer camp during the summer when the Harry Potter books came out. And there was always Mm -hmm. a push to get those the day that they came out. But I was never part of that because, like, literally I was in the woods in Maine somewhere away from any bookstores. (laughs) So that's the only time I had, like, that impulse. I did buy Lil Wayne's The Carter Three album the day it came out. <laughs> I did the Harry Potter, yeah. I mean, since I think the the first one I got late on the train, somebody told me about it and I read it. And by the time I finished it, the second one was coming out. And then from then on, I think I did Midnight Buys in my yeah, yeah. hometown every time. Nice. Um, and the, But then like by the end, I was like, I was old enough. I was like in high school, I think, right? When they finished. I was in college. I might have attended an event called Muggle Fest to get the book. There were there were people dressed up as the wizards, and you could take pictures with them. There were so but they wouldn't allow you to be a wizard. You were the Muggles visiting, and then at the end they give you the book. <laughs> what a terrible <laughs> event! Oh God. Um, anyway, I was in college. <laughs> I was gonna say that. Um, 
yeah, by the time I was, I was a little bit too cool to go to the, um, the midnight stuff when I was in high school, but I definitely got them like the next, I pre-ordered them and like yeah. go pick it up at Barnes and Noble and like elbow people out of the way <laughs> my way to the cashier. Yeah. Uh, okay. So Andrew, I am dying to hear about your shame. Let's hear this shame. I mean, my shame comes with a little bit of a, a caveat in that I don't feel bad about it at all. So it's not really shame. <laughs> Noticing a trend in this family. <laughs> um, I bought, um, a second copy of a book called Heavy by Kiese Lehman. Uh, it's a memoir. It's absolutely fantastic. It was on a lot of li- uh, lists last year. I bought the book because uh, I'm attending a talk that he's giving in Brooklyn in a few weeks. Mm. And included in the ticket is another copy of the book. Um, I should say also that uh, he was my advisor and professor in college. So Ooh. I'm all for buying as many copies of his books as I want. But but Andrew said that I could have the extra copy of the book. Oh, God, guys. I did say that. <laughs> <laughs> So I, I have a book edition, but no shame at all. My wife had some friends visiting. We took them to uh, a wonderful bookstore that I don't mind promoting on this podcast called The Last Bookstore in Los oh, Angeles. Yeah. Um, may may or may not have been the site of some wedding photos for Dylan and Bailey. We took our engagement photos there. We wanted to get married there, but they didn't. Re- they didn't reply to our emails, and that's why print is dead. <laughs> and yeah, I took her friends there, and w- while we were going through, uh, w- there's a really big um, science fiction and fantasy section that her friends really enjoyed as well as I did. And her friend Sabine, um, who hopefully will be a listener now. Um, was kind enough to go back there after we left and get me a book to say thank you um, by an author I'd never heard of called Robert Rankin. And I added it to uh, my list on Goodreads and it has one of the most horrific and terrifying covers I've ever seen in my life. It looks like like a, a crazy redheaded man with a silver face is holding a giant paper mache fish. Um, <laughs> yeah, it's called The Book of Ultimate Truths and I can't wait to read it and discuss the cover with you guys when I read it. I would say it's both terrifying and nonsensical. It's like, what is happening yes. in this picture? All right, I'm really tired of having to explain my art to you, Toby, but we can talk about it when it's time. <laughs> Sorry. The only other sort of book-related thing this week is I'm formally adding Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell to uh, my to-read list. So we'll see what, if what? somewhere oh. down the line it comes up again, but we'll see. Um, so I am in the middle of reading Blonde. Ooh. No spoilers, so I won't even say anything what I think about it. But it's a big old, I ordered it secondhand. It came in a big old hardback edition. Um, what do you guys do when you're reading a hardback book with a dust jacket? I personally immediately remove it and put it somewhere safe because if I keep it on there, it will be destroyed by the time I finish the book. I absolutely do the same thing. <laughs> I have a very strong opinion, which is basically the same thing, except what I do is I take it and I put it in my shelf so it looks like the book is still there and it doesn't disrupt the look of the overall shelf. Bailey has created a podcast of which she is the ultimate listener. Like, <laughs> it's like you know, create the media that you want to consume like this. Yeah, yeah. With that said, Dylan's brother Patrick is a monster and he will immediately throw out the dust jacket. And he's given me books like um, Tre- the Trevor Noah book. What's it called? Ooh. Crime. Mom. A Born a Crime by Trevor Noah he gave to me. Well, I just want to repeat, it's not it's not called Mom, because that was my guess. Because uh, I really liked it, and I was like, oh, I'll hold on to the copy. And he's like, great, I don't have the dust jacket, so it's just 
just a sad green book on my shelf. I have an opinion about that, actually. Okay. I really like the look of hardcover books without their dust jackets. I like that, like, plain, and they'll often have, like, a secondary title printed on the spine. Yeah. I think that looks... If I had a whole library of them, I'd be happy. I think they look really cool. And I much prefer them... I'd say I dislike more than 50% of book covers that I see. Ooh. So it's like, if they suddenly said, oh, we're just going to do them all in hardback and all have just, like, the plain covers, I'd be like, that's cool with me. It makes, it makes me feel like I'm in, like, an old-timey Victorian library. I think that's what I was going to say is when I look at them, I think of them as older books. And so I, they, I, I'm not drawn to them as a newer book. Okay. I still like the way they look. I just, they just seem older. I like the look of them without the book, without the dust jacket. But I also think that jacket design is really fascinating. So, you know, I'm happy any which way. (laughs) I also always like when I first take off the jacket, it feels like a little illicit. Like, oh, what do you look like underneath? Let me cut that out. Oh, no, 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 no. All right, so this week, Andrew read... Da, 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 da. Let the Great World Spin by Colin McCann. Boop, 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 boop. So I came upon this book in sort of an interesting way. Obviously, I'd seen it in bookstores and stuff because it was pretty prominent when it won the National Book Award and all that. Um, but I got my copy because as I was moving out of my college house senior year, we moved the couch and there were two books under it this book and a book of plays and no one would say that they were theirs or whose they were and it was a little bit of a mystery in the house and so i just took it because if no one's going to claim i'll take two books it is a novel that follows a lot of disparate characters centering around the 1974 walking of philippe petit uh, on a tightrope between the two towers in new york city it follows a variety of characters who were also in new york that day and either saw him or were affected by it Um, and how those lives and their stories intersect. This really doesn't center on the story of the tightrope walker at all. In fact, he's never even named. The only reason that you know that it's based on a real thing, if you didn't already know about it, is a small author's note at the end. But it focuses much more on the people on the ground who see him or people who were just in the city that same day. So it's very different from Man on Wire or The Walk. And actually, so because I had was already familiar with the story, I'd seen and really enjoyed Man on Wire, I was a little hesitant about this book, and sort of that's part of why I'd put off reading it, um, because I thought it was going to be just a like fictionalization of that story by this random author. Um, mm-hmm. But it really is just a um, sort of flashpoint that the rest of the story explodes out of, and also sort of a focusing point where you get like a grounding throughout the novel. So it starts um, with a very short section that is um, from the perspective of watching him start to walk. And then you get maybe two other 10 page sections that's from the tightrope's perspective and everything else is is ancillary characters. Oh, cool. And Toby, you scared me a little bit um, when you said it was a do, <laughs> a do not finish for you. Um, and also when you said, is it just not grabbing you last podcast? <laughs> Um, But it it actually did grab me. I thought the writing was really beautiful. Um, He has this wonderful sort of unexpected style where he doesn't quite feel the need to use the entire rules of grammar, which I like and I appreciate. Mm. Meaning like there are some sentences that are run-ons or there are some sentences that are fragments. And he uses those as a fun like sort of punctuation. And it uh, rhythmically is a book that really grabbed me a lot. Um, Cool. 
one criticism I would say, <laughs> and it feels weird to be offering criticism as uh, <laughs> to this to this National Book Award winning book. Um, I felt because the the structure of the book is a bunch of separate stories that, while related, have different narrators, and you never have the same narrator more than once. Um, some of those either grabbed me more, which is sort mm-hmm. of to be expected. Like he's not going to hit a home run with every narrator you create. In particular, his first narrator, who's uh, named Kieran, uh, he does a particularly he's particularly strong, and uh, a character who comes in later named Gloria. I thought their sections were particularly strong, and they were particularly like fascinating narrators. That sounds really interesting, but it also sounds like it might be hard to keep up the rhythm that you know every twenty pages, so you have to refigure out who the protagonist is. Is that the case, or was it? Did it still flow well? No, that's a really uh, good question. Um, it still flowed well. Um, the sections weren't like with some notable exceptions they were mostly in the like 35 to 50 page era there were some that were much shorter um, but in a way those were fun because you could kind of breeze through them so you would read like a 75 page section from one narrator and then you get this 10 page section from somebody else Mm -hmm. um so i didn't have a problem with that and also with some notable exceptions the characters that narrate you have sort of met in previous stories or were alluded to in previous stories Mm -hmm. um to that end, and I'm wondering if this was why it was tough for you, Toby, to get into it. The first and second sections are the least connected. So you have the least sort of grounding mm-hmm. in those. My evaluation of this book, I think I came out a little strong <laughs> with my disrecommendation of it. I remember I picked it up at an airport. I don't remember where, um, but I think it was the year that it won the National Book Award because it was everywhere. And um, I think, you know, there are books that I'm never, I'll never be 100% sure because I'll never go back to this book. I don't feel a strong desire to, but um, there's definitely books that are like, oh, it's just not the right time to read it. So maybe I was on vacation or something and it just like, it just really didn't grab me. And I was like, oh, this is not what I want. And I just took the opportunity to read something else. But the way you're describing it, it sounds um, good. I was going to say, it sounds kind of like I should add it to my list. This can't be a thing now. (laughs) Straight up, I was excited to read this book and then you scared me a little bit toby so i, <laughs> I was afraid that i was gonna say these positive reviews and you were gonna like be mad oh yeah no so i that's why i wanted to make clear like my i don't even i wouldn't even describe it as hatred i would just describe it as uh did not grab me in an aggressive way and that might have been more a timing thing but gotcha. um i do remember like strongly disliking the beginning of it but who knows you know i i personally find my reactions to books are so rooted in the time the exact time like what i'm feeling like and what my interests are that i could have vastly different reactions to a book depending on the circumstances so i could probably read it again and enjoy it especially if especially if it's a recommendation from you andrew who i respect oh oh, oh, thank you toby um i just wanted to read a favorite quote from the book i think he had a has a really good uh handle on writing sentences that make a lot of sense with repetition in them and then sort of hitting it with a punctuation and this is an example of one that i found this is um someone describing writing back home while they're at college i wrote back on airmail paper I told them how much I loved my history class, which was true. I told them I loved walking in the woods. True, too. I told them that I always had clean linen in my dorm room. True as well. I gave them all the truth and none of the honesty. Oh, I like that. All the truth, but none of the honesty. I disliked that. That's a hint of why I didn't like this book. They're just people whose style doesn't grab you. It's just not for you. We have a listener named Evan, and we babysit his little girl named Gigi. And she's only four, I think. But She already disliked Colin McCann. But she'll be like, it's just not my favorite. <laughs> so I feel like that's what... We'll get her, we'll get her like, a, like a sound grab, but we can, like, you know, the old school, like, 90s radio, we could press it. Not it's just favorite. not my favorite. So I'm curious 
how this is sort of a question for everybody and then i'll finish this review with one other quote i really liked but um in general i have a hard time with uh books movies story collections whatever it is that are sort of this style um the interconnectedness it feels like a trope that might be overused sometimes that said i enjoyed this but like i feel like it gets used maybe a bit too much i don't know how y'all feel about it I, I like it. I liked um, Letters from the Goon Squad. It's yeah. kind yep. of similar. A visit from the Goon Squad, you mean? Uh, I liked A Visit from the Goon Squad. Uh-huh. I just agreed with you, so I'm <laughs> complicit in that. Sometimes I get frustrated like liking a character and having to abandon them and then start a new one, but almost always, you know, the new character eventually grabs me um, just as much as the last one did. I was trying to think of a good example, but Bill, I think you hit it on the head with Visit from the Goon Squad. And I'll say, um, I love books like this. I like the the variety, the, you know, yeah. the different narrators and all the kind of different stuff you can get into with that kind of book. I picked out one more quote that I wanted to read. It's also from the narrator Gloria. Um, so the same narrator that had the other quote. So I guess I just really liked her. Someone has a crush. <laughs> Ooh. I can still to this day hear my folks whispering and laughing before they went off to sleep. Perhaps it is all I want to recall. Perhaps our story should stop on a dime. Maybe things could begin and end right there, at the moment of laughter. But things don't begin and end really, I suppose. They just keep on going. I like that quote. I like that quote too. Toby does not like that quote. Uh, I had a tepid reaction to that quote. You know, Toby, they say the opposite of love isn't hate, it's indifference. Mm, Well, there you go. I have the opposite of love for this book. So, Andrew, how many stars would you give it, and are you going to keep it on your shelf? Um, I am going to give it four stars using the Goodreads thing. It is, I've wavered while reading it between three and a half to four stars. I know there are no half stars, so that's why I ended up going to four, because it depended on how much I was grabbed by the narrator of each section. Um, But I think overall I'm comfortable giving it four. It's realistically probably a high three and a half. 3.75. 3.75. What are we doing? <laughs> um, I, I'm giving it four stars, Toby. <laughs> and I think I will keep it on my shelf. Um, I don't know if I'll immediately revisit it, but I would like the option to. It's like a cream book with red lettering and a red sort of pen drawing of New York City. Um, but it's obviously not, it's not like a literal drawing of New York City. It's this kind of fantastical looping city that has roads going where they shouldn't be and buildings sort of stacked upon each other um, and then connecting two towers there's a line and um, the only bit of the book cover that's in black is a like kind of rudimentary drawing of a tightrope walker well, would you guys like to hear some interesting facts about Colin McCann? I would love to. So, Bailey, tell us the interesting facts that you looked up. Nice try. I didn't. I didn't. <laughs> okay. Um, so, Colin McCann, um, he was born in Dublin. He's Irish, um, but he now lives and teaches in New York, um, and he teaches at uh, Hunter College. Um, he started his career as a reporter um, in Ireland and was successful in a way. He had his own byline by the age of 21, which I think is um, a fairly good achievement. Um, he moved to the States in 1986, um, and a big part of him kind of falling in love with the United States and enjoying living here is he biked across the country um, kind of leisurely between the years of 1986 and 1988. Um, so he spent a lot of time all over the whole country uh, kind of interacting with strangers, um, learning about America and different states. And so, um, you know, this is a book about America in part, um, and I think he kind of has he has credentials um, on this bike trip. Um, I just want to quickly interject and say that my AP U.S. history teacher um, stopped class one day and said, today we're not learning about history. Today I'm going to tell you about when I biked across the United States. <laughs> was that a cool class? Yeah, it was cool. I liked him. All right. 
Anyway. So, let's see here. Oh, Andrew, would it surprise you to know that um, Colin McCann says that all the characters in the book stemmed from Corrigan, um, that he was the first and the uh, the true heart voice of the book. Was that surprising to you? First of all, nothing surprises me. I'm made of stone. Um, <laughs> <laughs> and second of all, no, that doesn't surprise me at all. It really felt like he had a very firm grasp on the character of Corrigan, and he becomes central to a lot of the different stories, so that, yeah, it does not surprise me at all. Would you say that he's the Corrigan of the book? Like the core? Yeah, yeah, no. That was... Anyway, I brushed right past that. Um, <laughs> let's see here. McCann writes in a ninth floor apartment, sitting with a computer device on his lap, on the floor of a cupboard with no windows located between two very tight walls. That is very specific and also my nightmare. Yeah, sounds a very claustrophobic uh, way to write, but that's the way he says he likes to write. Because you mentioned that he teaches at an MFA program, I wonder if he encourages all his students to like find their little cupboard. <laughs> He's like, all right, so today class is going to be searching this building to find a cupboard to write in. <laughs> <laughs> Last little fun fact I have is that McCann worked for on a long t- for a long time and then abandoned a follow-up to Let the Great World Spin. So yeah, um, seems like a good guy, successful author and teacher. Uh, did any of that information uh, surprise you, Andrew? No. <laughs> <laughs> He's made of stone. Excellent. All right. Good researching, Toby. I feel like that's pretty nice. <laughs> okay, so Let the Great World Spin by Colin McCann. Four stars. Four, four, four. Four. All uh, right. Uh, my book this week is called We Have Always Lived in the Castle by Shirley Jackson. Woo! Woo! Um, this book was given to me by my brother, Andrew. You're welcome. <laughs> just a few weeks ago at Christmas, which is very exciting. I had uh, The Haunting of Hill House on my list, and so Andrew got me that and then saw this cover and couldn't turn away. Is that right, Andrew? I wasn't going to buy it, and then I saw this cover, and I thought, yeah, I'm going to get that. It is a cool cover. It is a really cool cover. It looks like a pencil drawing or like graphite or something. Mm-hmm. Yep. It's got the main character front and center holding her cat. Name character named. Named Mary Cat Blackwood. And behind her is her sister Constance, who's the secondary character. And then around her are all these creepy people like yelling and jeering and sticking their tongues out. And those are... I assume the townspeople, but they almost, when I saw this without knowing what it was about, I thought they were ghosts. Yeah, they look very scary and very unpleasant, um, but it's a great cover. And it has an introduction by Jonathan Lethem, who wrote Motherless Brooklyn. I would definitely skip the introduction because I read it first and there are spoilers in it. Also, introductions are useless. If it's an introduction, it shouldn't have a spoiler. You should assume that someone's reading it before they start reading it. Anyway, this book is a gothic horror book. It's Shirley Jackson's last novel. It's only about 146 pages. Maybe it's more of a novella. But it's essentially about um, a girl named Mary Catherine Blackwood, also known as Mary Cat. She lives in a house with her sister Constance and her uncle Julian, who is a little bit batty, I guess I would say. Um, And the rest of their family is dead (laughs) because someone in the family poisoned them. And it's about their day-to-day life and also their conflicts with the townspeople who all hate them because, I mean, they've been poisoning people. Allegedly. Allegedly, exactly. Uh, Constance was accused of it, but was acquitted for it. uh, If I'm not mistaken, uh, it's often quoted as having one of the best opening paragraphs of all time. I was going to read it. In lieu of a plot summary on the cover, on the back cover, it's just the first paragraph. Yeah, which is fantastic. Okay. Um, I'm going to say it in like a creepy little girl voice. (laughs) Is that not your normal voice? (laughs) What? Nothing. Okay. My name is Mary Catherine Blackwood. I am 18 years old, and I live with my sister, Constance. I have often thought 
that with any luck at all, I could have been born a werewolf, because the two middle fingers on both my hands are the same length, but I've had to be content with what I had. I dislike washing myself, and dogs, and noise. I like my sister Constance, and Richard Plantagenet, and Anna Manita Faliotes, the death cup mushroom. Everyone else in my family is dead. Pretty strong stuff. Pretty good intro. Yeah. I just want to point out that you had the instinct to make it a creepy little girl voice when she clearly states she's 18, 18. years old, which is an adult. <laughs> Here's the thing, though. If she had not said she was 18, yeah. you would have no. You would assume that she was a little girl. You've yeah. read this, Toby. You would agree? Yep, I would agree. Um, oh, she, I didn't realize. So, Toby, you've also read this. Yes, I have. All right, cool. And you listened to it. Right? I listened to it on Audible, yes. How close was my voice? Not no. close at all. <laughs> oh, okay. Well, all right. <laughs> she does seem like she's in a, a state of arrested development. Absolutely. And she, I mean, her her biggest concerns are getting books from the library and hanging out with her cat, Jonas, mm-hmm. and also wishing death upon others. And like, mm-hmm. you know, I think we can all relate to those three things. Yeah, Absolutely. totally. <laughs> <laughs> but I also loved just Shirley Jackson has this hilariously cutting but twisted um, tone. I mean, you can tell from the first paragraph, it gets you right away. Um, I have some other examples of, of this dark, twisted dialogue. Uh, the, the inciting incident is that they have a cousin come visit, and he kind of throws their world out of orbit. Yeah, he's unexpectedly come to visit, and they're a very self-contained household, very buttoned down into their own little crazy routines, and he comes disrupts like, that. The extent where it's like agoraphobic and yeah. a little bit crazy. So on page 65, uh, Uncle Julian, who's the one who's a little bit off kilter because he he was poisoned but he survived the poisoning he says to constance your cooking although it is of a very high standard indeed has certain disadvantages i am not afraid to eat anything constance cooks charles said really said uncle julian i congratulate you i was referring to the effect a weighty meal like pancakes is apt to have on a delicate stomach i assume your reference was to arsenic (laughs) yeah which is a pretty cold thing to say um and this is another one um this is mary cat on page 80 she said cousin charles I have decided to ask you please to go away. All right, he said, you asked me. Please, will you go away? No, he said. (laughs) (laughs) The things that they are saying are so messed up. They're talking about the murder of, I think, five different people. Mm -hmm. But they just make it seem so quotidian and, I don't know, twisted and interesting. This book, to me, suffered greatly from two things. Um, It was an audible edition that I didn't enjoy, which is rare. When you were reading those lines, you delivered them much better than the narrator does, in my opinion, in the audible edition. Um, And then also, um, it was poorly marketed. Um, So the the cover is quite freaky looking. I'd read reviews or, you know, writing about it that said, it's so scary, it's so creepy, is it this? And I did not find it, like, not even the slightest ounce creepy at all, ever. Um, And so it's one of those things where it's like, you know, you see a preview for a movie and they market it as a action-packed thriller and really it's like a really slow drama and i found this book to be more of a really really insanely slow drama Mm -hmm. Uh, it was a very frustrating reading experience for me that being said having done research on the author and read more about the book i'm probably going to give it another shot and borrow your copy and physically read it yeah there are books that i love audible a lot but there are books that you just can't audible and this might be one of them that's really fair. I think going into it, I also thought it was going to be scary. And to the point where I was starting to read into things and thinking that they were twists that they weren't. Like, this person's yeah. a ghost, that kind of thing. Yeah. But just because I thought it had to be scarier than it really was. How, did you find it scary at all? It, the, the scariest thing about it is how likable 
Mary Cat is, mm-hmm. considering she's a sociopath. Yeah. Um, and that how every day she makes these horrible things seem. So that is scary to me. And also, I think it talks a lot about otherness and um, the power of sort of the mob mentality. And that is scary. You can also see that in Shirley Jackson's short story, The Lottery, which I'm sure we all read in high school. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Um, and uh, something else I wanted to say, I really liked the slow reveal that she used. You wonder why everyone in the house is dead. Everyone in the family is dead, which she says in the first paragraph. And they reveal it really in interesting ways. And a lot of it comes from Uncle Julian, who just say things. So you kind of get it between the lines of what's happening. Mm-hmm. So I liked the slow reveal. I loved Mary Cat. I loved the dialogue. Um, and I liked that it was short and sweet. It just set it up and there was a big old climax and then the end. I don't want to say anything about the ending, but I liked yeah. the ending. Um so overall, I would also give this one a four stars. Ooh. Four star central. Four star central. Uh-huh. And I would definitely recommend it to people, especially those interested in Shirley Jackson or who enjoyed the show Hill House. Um, but it's not it's not as scary as as you might think. So my question based on Miss Mary Cat Blackwood is what is a character that you have read and you've loved as you were reading, but that you would never want to meet in real life? I'd say um, I read uh, the hot, hot, hot book uh, from last year, Circe, Mm -hmm. um, and God loved it. Five star, like everybody in the world should read that book. Uh, And I loved Circe, but I don't think I'd want to hang out with her because she's a scary goddess witch. But yeah, she's an incredible character. I don't know if I have an exact example from like a novel or a book, but I read a lot of plays and I see a lot of plays and, uh, Richard the third, Richard Plantagenet <laughs> from your previous quote uh-huh. jumps out because he's so fundamentally evil, but like if it's performed well, or if you're reading it, he can really draw you in. And then there's also a play by the English playwright, Carol Churchill called the Scriker. Um, and the main character is the Scriker, who's this like weird um, mythical monster of like British folk tales and stuff. And Ooh. she speaks in this like bizarro free association. And the op- opening of the play is a 16 page monologue by her where you have no idea what's going on. And Ooh. it's just really captivating and really cool. But fundamentally, she is a like scary monster. So I wouldn't want to hang out with her either. Well, I like Carol Churchill, so I'll have to check that out. Yeah. I will say the um, that when you first mentioned this question, the first thing that jumped to my mind, I think, is the kind of boring answer that everyone would say, which would be Humbert Humbert. I was going to say that. I thought that as well. Yeah. But I thought Bailey was going to bring it up, so I didn't. <laughs> <laughs> but that is, I think that's, you know, everyone's example of like someone utterly reprehensible that you enjoy. He convinces you that they're in love. And yeah. That's, that's messed up. Yeah. If you like unsettling off kilter things and if you like creepy little girls you would like this book check it out definitely yeah i actually have some cool uh research shirley jackson is a very interesting person um she was like a lot of her characters um bordering on agoraphobic um she'd kind of go back and forth throughout her life between being more sociable and then having kind of um kind of brushes with mental illness that would bring her even you know really introverted and agoraphobic um she wrote six novels two memoirs and 200 plus short stories over her career wow 200 yeah um she was from san francisco born in 1916 and then ended up settling in vermont with her husband um she was often dismissed during her time as an author she was seen as a purveyor of kind of just high class ghost stories Mm -hmm. and people people write off genre fiction today but back in the day they really wrote off genre fiction um Someone, and I don't, I really wish I knew who called her this. Someone called her uh, Virginia Werewolf. I love that. Yeah, I think these days that would be a compliment in that I think at the time it was supposed to be very cutting. Like she was aspiring to be literary, but she wasn't making it. 
And she did love her children, but she didn't really love her husband because he was terrible. Um, and her husband, uh, Stanley Egger Hyman, they married and he became a professor at Bennington College. And he was the kind of professor who slept with his students all the time. And he would come home and describe his affairs with his students to Shirley Jackson. Aww. Yeah, she had a pretty rough life. Um, she also was um, prescribed uh, Benzedrine, um, which was basically speed for the 50s. Like as a weight loss thing? Yes, as weight loss. She struggled with her weight her whole life, um, and she kind of used Benzedrine and, and all this kind of stuff to try and cope with that, but it's not a very good way to do that. So it kind of degraded her mental health throughout her life. She also became an alcoholic later because um, she couldn't escape from her house and her husband. She didn't really believe in, um, in divorcing him. Uh, later, when the Benzedrine gave her um, kind of panic attacks and intense anxiety. They prescribed barbiturates to her to get rid of that. And basically at her later years were a kind of cycle of drug abuse and alcoholism and misery. Um, so it's it's pretty brutal. Um, and she died kind of, of complications of smoking, drinking, and having um, an unhealthy amount of um, amphetamines and barbiturates uh, in her life. The ghost of Shirley Jackson is loving that Netflix money. She's loving <laughs> that we're talking about her on this podcast. To be fair, if she was still alive today, she would love Netflix. I was going to say she would definitely be a ghost. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I think these days she's much more widely respected. And, I, you know, these are this is a book that was published in 1962 and is in most bookstores now, I'd say. So that's a, that's a big deal. And her husband's books, which were well-reviewed re- at the time, um, basically are totally forgotten now. Ha-ha! <laughs> like, basically eventually revealed to be a real jerk. This was, like, very... How much time did you spend researching? Very... I spent a while. I might have been very ashamed at my previous uh, <laughs> crappy research. So I wanted to write the ship. Excellent. All right, so Andrew, my understanding is you have a game for us. Oh, I do, and it might be very hard, so we'll see. (laughs) I'm excited that uh, in your facts, Toby, you brought up that she was also a short story writer, Shirley Jackson, Mm -hmm. um, because that's sort of the seed of our game today. The game is called Hidden Shirley. Ooh. So the way this game is going to work is you'll each take turns, and I will read you a sentence or a couple of sentences that contain the title of a Shirley Jackson short story. Ooh, okay. All right. Mm. Are you with me so far? This sounds hard. I'm excited. <laughs> yeah. After I read it, you can guess what the title of the short story is. Uh-huh. Um, if you do not get it right, the other person will have a chance to steal that point. Got it. Okay. And the person with the end with the most points after you each have three turns wins. Does that make sense? Makes sense. Okay. All right. So Bailey won last week. So would you like to go first or second? Second, please. Um that are you in any way Bailey Toby <laughs> then I would like Toby to go first <laughs> what no um, here's the first one after you my dear Alphonse I said as he stepped deeply in the shadow of the evening I'm gonna say the shadow of the evening Toby that is incorrect Bailey would you like to steal steal my dear Alphonse I'm going to give Bailey a half point here because the answer is after you my dear Alphonse oh, okay. oh. Right. half point Bailey there. half point half point now, Bailey, here's your here's your turn. Okay. Nothing much in the mail today. Got a letter from Jimmy, a mysterious envelope, and a few bills. I'm going to say a letter from Jimmy. I'm going to give you another half there because it is got a letter from Jimmy. Ooh. So you're up to one whole point. <laughs> but I almost said a mysterious envelope. Yeah, that was going to be my steal. Yeah. But I think we're getting a, a more of a taste of what her actual titles are like. Yeah. <laughs> we'll see. <laughs> <laughs> All right, Toby, here you are. 
I couldn't make myself look back at Jonathan as I walked away down the darkening street, afraid I'd turn to a pillar of salt or worse, run back to him. Oh, I'm going to say a pillar of salt. That is correct, Toby. Oh, yes. Good one. Bailey, it's time for your second one. Right now, Toby has one point and Bailey has one point as well. That's right. Eat it. All right. I spent the long afternoon tending to the flower garden, which was hopeless after months of drought. Tending to the flower garden. You will get another half point for that, Bailey, because <laughs> it is just flower garden. Oh, man. Okay. All right. The following two are the hardest. Okay. So here we go. I went to the movies, a favorite afternoon activity, with all the old friends, John, David, Elizabeth, and Theo. I'm going to say with all the old friends. That's incorrect. Bailey, would you like to steal? I would like to steal. I know that Theo is a character in Hill House, so I don't think it's that. So I think it's I went to the movies. Nope. The answer is just Elizabeth. Oh. <laughs> and, yeah. Okay. And now, uh, Bailey, for your final one. I passed candy out to each of them in their costumes. The cat, the witch, the ghost, the mermaid, while trying to aim a kind smile at their tired mother. The mermaid? No, Toby, would you like to steal? Yes, candy. Nope, you're both incorrect. It is the witch. Oh, <laughs> oh I, w- I was close. <laughs> you were close. Too obvious. Um, so Bailey wins with a point yeah, and a half. Yeah, 1.5. Do you want to know what the tiebreaker would have been? Yes. Charles, of course the tooth fairy will come. Um, Charles, of course. <laughs> the tooth fairy. <laughs> Uh, there are three titles of a Shirley Jackson book <laughs> in that sentence. Charles is one. Uh-huh. Of course is one. And <laughs> The Tooth is one. Oh. <laughs> so two more points from me. So I think that would be fun if there had been a tie, but you guys need to be better to make oh. that happen in the future. Game though, Andrew. Good, Good game. One. Very difficult Thank game. You. And guess what it's time for? The, the Choosing. I'm very excited. Excitement acknowledged. <laughs> Thank you. Okay. For Andrew. You have number 32, Giovanni's Room by James Baldwin. Ooh. Oh, that's very exciting. I'm very excited to read this book. Okay, what's mine? What's mine? And Bailey has number 49, The Hunchback of Notre Dame by Victor Hugo. That's a brick. Oh, no. Uh, So, Bailey, how are you feeling? Um, I'm feeling like, why did I put this on the list? Well, I'm glad I had a short one last time. In your, you read uh, Jonathan Strange and Mr. Norrell, which was similar length, if not longer, right? Yes, but this one was published in um, 2004. That's not right. <laughs> <laughs> Somebody gave this to me in 2005. It says 05. So I've had it. to you. My friend Lindsay. Okay. It says, in honor of Froggy a Go-Go Land, that's me going to France, a true French classic. Why don't you read it and let me know what happens? It's been 14 years, Lindsay, and now I'm going to read it. Yeah. seems like nobody wants to read this book. Even this person who gave it to you is like, eh, read it and tell me what happens. <laughs> um, this is, I mean, this is, a, to me, an example of, like, the perfect reason for the creation of the podcast. I feel like you never would have read that book. You're, you're totally right. But you would never have gotten written of it because you're like, I'm not going to get rid of the Hushback of Notre Dame. That's exactly right. Notre Dame, sorry. We'll see how it goes. I don't want you to be mad at me, but Giovanni's room is 169 pages. Well, this is why I this is why I'm doing the podcast, you guys. <laughs> Love it. Okay, well, um, thanks for listening to the To Read List. If you'd like to get in contact with us, you can email the to read list podcast at gmail.com. Follow us on Goodreads at goodreads.com slash the to read list podcast. We're on Facebook and Instagram at the to read list podcast and on Twitter at to read list pod. Thanks to Toby and Andrew for co-hosting the podcast with me, to Dylan for sound recording, and to Miss Jillian Beth Durkee for composing our intro song. See you in two weeks. Happy reading. Books, books, books. 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 Oh.